this morning, traditionalism that dishonors God. This is sometimes a sensitive topic. It's also a difficult topic, but it shows up in the scriptures in many places, and I pray that this morning that it would be clear and the Spirit of God would show us in our hearts where this is a needed lesson for us. Does anybody know what We Fit is? All the kids and, and, the, and the adults with kids at heart know exactly what I'm talking about. We, so you have the Wii, it's the Nintendo Wii, but they have what's called We Fit, which is that you can get, um, it comes with a, a balance board. It's, it's like this, and, and you stand on it, and there's um, a left side and a right side, and depending on how you shift your weight corresponds to your character on the screen, and you do different exercises and games. Well, one of those games that I think I'm still the champion in our house for is the tightrope. Did you beat me? Kay- Kaylee beat me. You snuck that in on me. I didn't know. Well, I'm not the champion anymore. I didn't realize that. But I was a champion for a long time. And the tightrope is, as you know, with tightropes, um, it's stretched between two tall, high-rise buildings. And there is this rope in your Wii Fit character. You have to walk on this tightrope in the slightest shift in your balance on this on this balance board, and you start to go one way or the other. And if you're not careful and regain your balance, your character falls down and dies. And so you have to figure out how you're going to shift your legs back and forth because if you don't keep on shifting your legs back and forth, then it leaves your weight on one side or the other. And then you start to, uh, you know, get sweaty and then you fall. So it requires constant action and it has to be action that is balanced and to be able to stay in the tightrope. Now, that's not all, folks. Depending on what level you're playing, the beginner level is only one of these. There's like one of these animal steel traps with teeth and it's coming at you, towards you on this little rope. And so you have to learn how you can't actually jump because if you jump, you lose the game immediately. But you have to act like you're going to jump and it senses your weight shift and your character jumps just in time to miss this little teeth trap that's trying to eat you. But if you jump too late, it gets you and you fall. If you jump too early, you come down and it gets you. You have to do it at just the right time. And on the more difficult levels, you have to um, jump over two or three of these little steel trap things. And I think my record was like 27 seconds, but it sounds like um, somebody has beat that. But you have to get this rhythm and you've got to swing your hips in just the right way. So that way, yeah, I guess I'm pretty good at swinging my hips, folks. <laughs> Is it okay for a pastor to be good at swinging his hips? And so um, you have to just swing your hips just right so it, it gets your balance and you get this little meter going and then you get across. And of course, I think you have figured out where I'm going with this. So it is for the Christian life. The Christian life is very difficult to stay on balance and on center and there's things coming at you, and there's extremes in which ways you can go. And I look at the two extremes for illustration here this morning. Is one side is superficial, hypocritical religiosity. 
And on the other side is permissive, sinful living. And we often live our lives tilted one way or the other. And we struggle to keep our balance. And we want to avoid those pitfalls. Now, there's another level. I'll touch it on again towards the end of today. But this, this is where the illustration breaks down. Even though you might tend to go to one direction or the other, you can at the same time be involved with the other extreme. So those folks who can, although they tend to outwardly be, have superficial hypocritical religiosity, they can have pockets of permissive living that are hidden. And so there's this little complexity in our human experience to where we might look one way, but we can still struggle with something else on the other extreme, but it's not the dominant feature in our lives. And the only way to stay on center and in balance is through a regular faithful walk with the Lord. Yes, here at church, but also in your private worship and daily before the Lord. Today, Jesus is addressing one extreme, and that is that superficial, hypocritical religiosity. And that is what we're going to spend our time with today. Let's pray. God, I can see how passages like this in your word, Lord Jesus, as we're looking at your the words that you gave, they can be painful and we can resist them. Spirit, I pray that you would soften our hearts and move us towards honesty with ourselves and with you, O oh God. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one this morning, the root of the problem. The root of the problem. We're going to look at Mark chapter 7, the first few verses. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, that's Jesus, with some of the scribes and Again, these these groups don't mean much to us today, but the Pharisees were somewhat different than the scribes here. There's um, you hear in the New Testament several different religious groups: Pharisees, scribes, Essenes, um, the Sadducees. There's a few of them that you hear referenced throughout the New Testament. So here, there's two of those groups mentioned. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his, as Jesus' disciples, ate with hands that were defiled. And the idea is ceremonially defiled. That is, unwashed. Now what comes next is two verses of a parenthetical um, explanation. So Mark just kind of put parentheses around verses 3 and 4 and explains a little bit about what that means. Verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. And this is different than what we're thinking of probably today. This is a whole other ceremony that they had added to their tradition, holding to the tradition of the elders or the people, the spiritual leaders that had gone before them. Verse 4, And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. 
And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups in pots and copper vessels in dining couches. Now, folks, we do not quite appreciate this. We are detached from this tradition. It's not something that you and I talk about, but they were passionate about this. This was a big deal. For those of you who are here going on four years ago when I first came, our church had some passionate discussions about some things. And there were some disagreements. And so this is the kind of the atmosphere here that's happening. There were some passionate disagreements here. And there were some challenges. And why are we doing it this way? Or we shouldn't do it that way. Or we should do it that way. That is the atmosphere that we are in in these verses. And so the Pharisees are approaching Jesus with tense questions that were on most people's minds in this situation. Verse 5. And the Pharisees and the disciples asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So how did Jesus answer this? This is not even in Mark. This is not the first time he has had to answer a question like this. And again, this is a big deal how he answers this. This is a tense atmosphere. And it's interesting because even though he's had to answer this before, they're bringing it up again. And maybe this is a different group of Pharisees and scribes than the previous group. Or maybe it's some of the same group, but they still are struggling with it and they still are upset by it. People... Even if you tell them, I tell people this, I've got to tell you the first time so you can forget, so you can begin to remember the second time. Sound confusing? Okay. That's the idea, though. We're not just on and off switches. Okay, I got it. You know, it takes time for things to sink in, even if you have a right heart, which the heart of the Pharisees and the scribes here, it's seriously questionable whether they had a right heart. But even for those who do have a right heart, it takes a while for things to sink in. So, how did Jesus answer their question? Verse 6, and Jesus said to them, he's quoting from the book of Isaiah, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That was the end of the quote. And Jesus then applies it right to them. And he says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. If you're not in the habit of doing this, this is something that I always want you to try to get into the habit of doing. And that is when you can tell from the scriptures where it's quoting from another scripture, you should take note of that and then you should go look that other scripture up. And sometimes it yields some confusing results. In this case, it's pretty straightforward. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 29, starting in verse 13. This is where Jesus was quoting from. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, 
and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, he's making an application here. Behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. So Isaiah, by the Holy Spirit, is recognizing that they are not truly locking in in God's truth, and they're hypocritical about it. And so Isaiah prophesies that they will go into further darkness because of this. This is the passage that Jesus quoted from. So here, how did Jesus answer the question? He, in a very direct manner, went to the root of the problem. The Pharisees, I suspect, felt like they had the upper hand because what the Pharisees expected in their leadership of the Jewish people was was universally recognized. And so for them to question Jesus on something when he's not following their tradition, they're in good company because everybody knows that's what you're supposed to do, and yet Jesus isn't doing it. And so... I suspect, this is just my guess, that Jesus' response and how direct it was, was unexpected. They felt like they had a really good case, and here's this guy who's not doing it the right way, and everybody knows you should do it that way, and he turns around and goes, bam, and hits them head on with their Old Testament scriptures. The root of the problem was hypocrisy in the pursuit of the commandments of men. So first of all, hypocrisy. They worshipped in hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, in the New Testament, the word, the original word talks about, it comes back to a marketplace where you're a buyer in a marketplace and you want to buy a piece of pottery. And so what do you do to make sure it's a good piece of pottery? You hold it up to the light. And you see if it's true, if it's sincere. But fake pottery or pottery that is not good quality has been had some bonding put into it to cover a crack. And when you hold that up to the light, the true pottery doesn't let the light pass through, but the bonding agent to cover a crack does let the light through, and you can see that it's not true, it's not sincere, it is hypocritical. And so the pottery was hypocritical because it was put on as a show as if it was okay, but it was not as soon as it was held up to the light. The danger is is that people can draw near to the Lord with their lips, They can talk and say the right things. They can come to church and put their church actions on and try to hide what's going on in their life. They can expect God to accept their outward form of worship. And yet really, their heart is not in it. There's many good church-going folks but their worship of the Lord throughout the week and their relationship with the Lord throughout the week is almost non-existent. 
And so when we talk about folks drawing near to the Lord with their lips, you can come and draw near the Lord with your lips on Sunday, but your heart is far from the Lord the rest of the week. I'm not saying you shouldn't come and worship, clearly. But Jesus is confronting a religious culture. And this can be more and more of a struggle for someone the longer they've been a part of Christianity. Or it could be a struggle for those who aren't truly Christians and they go to a church that really isn't a church that preaches God's word, but they have a good show of it. So... The root of the problem was two-part. It was hypocritical worship and hypocrisy. And then the pursuit of the commandments of men. They became focused on man-made rules. Man-made rules make a show of following God's way, of doing things God's way. But they subtly... Turn the focus away from God's intent. And then over time, within a religious culture or a church culture, this commandment of men becomes so universally recognized that people mistake it for what God actually says. And this, I'm not picking on our church, this is a problem of many churches. To where when this is what my parents did and this is what my grandparents did and it gets passed on down and passed on down to where folks aren't examining God's word, passionately looking to see what God's word actually says. Instead, they're just following the commandments that were passed down to them, the expectations that were passed down to them and they lose sight of what God actually says. Somebody who has a passionate, heart-filled worship of the Lord is going to draw near to him on a regular basis, not just in the outward worship and the corporate worship, but throughout the week. But also they're going to cherish God's word and they're going to examine it to make sure that they are following it instead of what has just been passed down to them. Because our human nature works this way, there have been times since I've been here where I said, here's what the Bible says, and here's what you've been told. And it wasn't told to you because someone had a bad heart about it. It's just, it's the, the human nature for us is to just accept what's been told to us. And I say, okay, here's what you think it says, because this is what you've been told it means, but here's what it says, and I draw your attention to the dis- discrepancy there. There's been a few times since I've been here. This has needed to come up. And so having a heart that is passionate for God has worship, yes, on Sunday, but throughout the week in your relationship with the Lord, but also is passionate for his word and what it actually says. There are other New Testament passages that deal with this. And I'm going to look at just one of them. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. In verse 20. 
This is a part of a large passage. I love this larger passage. We're just going to do a little bit of it. It's talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And right now we're looking at just we're identified with Christ's death. And this is the portion we're looking at right now. So verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to, and here's the, the controlling principle of this, these two verses, According to the human precepts and teachings, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism or self-denial and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." So here, as we look at this similarity with the previous, there's an impressive external show. I'm going to boil it down. You can study more of these verses later. It's an impressive external show, human teaching over God's teaching, and missing out on true power that comes from focusing on God himself and his truth. Again, those three things, they're similar with the verses of Mark. Impressive external show. And then secondly, human teaching over God's teaching. Then thirdly, missing out on the true power that comes from focusing on God himself and his truth. Religion over obedience and show over substance. I think most of you will evaluate yourselves on these things and quickly conclude that this is not your problem. I'm not saying this because I have a low view of you. I have a very high view of you and I love you. I'm saying this because I think that's the general reaction apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. That when we hear things like this, we justify ourselves and we excuse ourselves like that. So my prayer is is that you'll be able to hit the reset button on that reaction this morning with God's help. Acknowledge that this is going to be a regular struggle for you. To stay on center requires that we humbly follow God in personal and public worship and not make excuses for ourselves and think, hey, we're okay. The stronger we are in God means the higher view we have of Him and the lower view we have of ourselves. This is going to be one of the biggest problems you will face in your Christian experience. Pastor, a friend of mine says, never underestimate your ability to have a high opinion, uh, over high opinion of yourself. I butchered that. Just never underestimate your ability to think higher of yourself than you should. Your default is to always think better of yourself than what is true. 
So Jesus goes to the root of the problem very confrontationally. And then he gives an example of the problem. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 9, And Jesus said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Okay, again, we're at the situation where the things, the particulars, the details that Jesus refers to mean nothing to us. And I really don't want to dive into how all that applies within their culture because it really doesn't affect us today. The principle does, though. The principle is this. We are master magicians. You say, oh, I didn't know I was a magician. Well, now you know. I want to tell you about Joel. Joel has not become a master magician yet. He, 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 I'm sure he will get there because the rest of my kids have. But... He's not there yet. One day, a few months ago, Joel just displayed the um, the beautiful, sad ignorance of a child. Beautiful, funny at the same time, but also sad because it's our human nature. I had gone to Woody's and I, I think it was a Friday night and gotten some of their Krispy Kreme donuts. And there they were sitting on the counter. And Joel discovered they were there, but he, he is smart enough and, and mature enough to recognize that he wasn't supposed to have those yet. Well, it came after we do our story time, and it was time to go to bed, and Joel comes into, um, he sticks his head around into the, from the dining room and just looks into the living room and says, Mom, Dad, I don't want you to come downstairs for seven minutes. Seven minutes. We don't know where he got seven from. Maybe it was a number of perfection. And he was very, very adamant about this. Do not come downstairs for seven minutes. Now, of course, as an adult, we recognize Joel is trying to hide something. But he thought he had it down and he had us fooled. And so we did wait a couple minutes because we, we wanted to give him a chance to settle in. And then we went downstairs. I think it was, actually Katrina went downstairs and there underneath Joel's bed was a Krispy Kreme donut. Um, was there a half-eaten one, too? It was half gone. No, it was half gone. I think he heard her going down the stairs, and so he very quickly put the half-eaten donut underneath his bed. As we move into adulthood, we become masterful at sleight of hand. And of representation. Now to God, we look like Joel did to us. We become masterful at finding loopholes and misrepresenting stuff, whether on our taxes or, you know, I remember when I was in 
in college in the dorms, you weren't supposed to have hot pots or these little hot boilerplates in your room because of fire code. And so we would find little loopholes, um, you know, whether you did it out in the hallway. Well, they didn't say you couldn't have it in the hallway, you know, or did find different ways to where you could use things without, you know, actually you're not meeting the spirit of the law. Um, you are just finding loopholes. Talk to police officers who are dealing with the public. I'm sure, Jeff, you, can, you have story upon story upon story of people trying to find loopholes. For a while, he dealt with regulations for um, truck driving agencies. And folks are masterful at trying to cook the books and find loopholes. And sometimes police officers could say, yeah, they did find a loophole and there's nothing I can do, although they're violating what we wanted them to do. Same thing for religious communities of all sorts. Don't just think of these other ones. You can think of our own as well. Whenever there's a rule, folks try to find a loophole or misrepresent. That is our sinful, fallen nature. That is your sinful, fallen nature, and that is mine. So your tendency is going to be to struggle with looking religious without a true worship and honoring of the Lord himself and his word. I might have to go packing after this Sunday. This is a hard sermon. The root of the problem, an example of the problem, and then what causes the problem. So let's look at the real problem instead of the traditions we violated. So what's the difference here between the root of the problem and what causes the problem? Eh, They're kind of two sides of the same coin, but I wanted to make sure that we take a long, hard look at what causes this problem. And I've already alluded to it, but now we're going to dig right in because that's what Jesus does. Mark chapter 7, verse 14, and Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that is going into him that can, file, that can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. What does that mean? Let's look more. And when he had entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and then is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. That's a parenthetical statement. And Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For within, from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, 
foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Now that's a pretty good list of sins, but it's still just a representative list. The scriptures give us many other lists throughout. But I can also see, I don't think I struggle with any of those. Folks, that's the wrong heart. Perhaps one of the things that was mentioned does not touch you. But don't have a heart of pride. Have a heart of humility and recognize until Jesus comes and takes you to be with him, you're going to struggle with your own sinfulness. I want to talk about an evangelical reckoning. When I mean evangelical, we talk about evangelical churches here in America. Those who are evangelical in nature, we consider them to be Bible preaching. Now there are other churches that we wouldn't call evangelical that do preach the scriptures. But in general, evangelical churches have seen a reckoning in the last several years. Every year, sometimes multiple times a year in the last several years, We've seen one great leader after another fall. And these leaders had all the trappings of greatness and impressive ministries and leadership and great preaching and impressive churches, great things happening. And then they fall and we hear the ugliest details. One of the most recent Shocking revelations for those of you who are familiar with Ravi Zacharias, who is now in heaven. But we have discovered years and years of very sinful, awful behavior done worldwide. It's been Bill Hybels, James McDonald, Josh Harris, Mark Driscoll. The list goes on and on. The last 10 years, it's been an ugly 10 years. And my desire isn't to talk bad about any man or any leader. My point is, is that, my friends, whether you're great or whether you consider yourself of no special ramification to anybody, you have a sinful heart. And if you don't, maintain a true, genuine, sincere heart before the Lord, privately and publicly, and pursue God's word privately and publicly, you will experience the results of your heart problem. Here's what happens. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden, and we saw it happen for the first time. And then it plays out throughout the whole of scriptures and we see it in all of our lives. We have a sin problem and then when we sin, we go into the mode of shame management. What were um, Adam and Eve doing? First of all, they were running from the Lord trying to, to, to get away from any exposure, but also they had to get coverings on. So it is... For us and our sins, we go into a shame management cycle. And the only way to handle our shame is to take our shame to Jesus. 
through confession and repentance. And His death, burial, resurrection, what He did on the cross, and what that means for us can completely dispel our shame, dispel our sinners, washed white as snow. When Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished! My friends, that means that your sin, once you have taken it upon your account through Jesus, it is gone, it is finished! You have no performance left to see your sin washed away because Jesus does it for you. But as a Christian who is trying to hide and cover our sin or not be genuine before the Lord in private or in public, and we know we're not quite right, we go into this shame management to where we're continuing to try to look right, but we know we're not quite right. And the longer we go in that mode, the deeper it goes, the worse it gets, the more we struggle, the more alone we feel, the more unloved we feel, the more alienated we feel. Because we're experiencing the brunt of our sinful heart without the help of God. And traditionalism that dishonors God is a very lonely place to be. Awful place to be. Trying to manufacture the fruits of righteousness without the power of God in your life is downright miserable. And my prayer for you as individuals and for us as a church is that we are passionate about genuine true worship in knowing what God's word really says and that we're willing to, when we recognize applications that were passed down to us that were good, but there are two or three steps removed from what God actually says that we're willing to let those fall away so we can stay on center for our own joy, but also for God's glory. And also avoid the pitfalls and the danger zone of hypocritical, shallow, commandments of men-oriented type of living. So the root of the problem, an example of the problem, and then what causes the problem. Points of application for today and I've been saying this all along, but let's just wrap up with this. Do you take your sinful heart seriously? They say confession is good for the soul, and yes, it is, my friends, because once we confess, the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, you have a problem with this, but we're saying, no, I don't want to talk about it, or no, I'm not going to admit it. We're miserable. The Holy Spirit is touching on you and saying, this is your problem, this is your problem, this is your problem. Say, yes, God, that's my problem. Confess. Confess, Greek word, means to say the same thing. Say, yes, that's it. Amen, true, that's right. About me. Confess. Stop trying to maintain prestige or respectability. You have none. None of us do. The only boasting, the only bragging, according to Romans chapter 3, is boasting in Jesus. 
So stop trying to cling on to your respectability, my friends. Every one of us should say, I have nothing. I'm only good because of Jesus and by his grace. That's it. And I know these go hand in hand, but have you seriously considered that you could gravitate to hypocrisy in your Christian life? Take a few minutes. Respond to the Lord. It's been a while since we've done it. I mentioned it last week. But if you need to come and give a testimony here before we leave the building, I will stand up here just for a few minutes. And you're welcome to do that. Remember, we have nothing to show off. It's only Jesus that we boast in. Or if you need to grab a brother and sister here and say, hey, I need, I need to talk to you. Let's, let's talk. Let's, let's set an appointment so we can talk because God is dealing with me and I need to talk with somebody about it. Then act. Respond to the Lord with honesty and humility.